you're listening to i mean can we discuss and i am your host astrid ferguson we will be discussing different issues that can be debated articulated chopped up any kind of way there's no real set way to this it could be culturally it could be socially it could just be how we're feeling today so You're here for the randomness, and I hope you're here to stay. So remember to subscribe, share, and tell me what you think. So hello, everybody. I'm here with Lynn Patterson in the guest chair. Hello. Yeah, and Lynn Patterson is a professor. She is a writer. She is an avid reader she is a lover of many things so let us know more about you lynn well um i'm really excited to be joining you today um and as you said in my day job i'm a professor but i also have been a teacher which i think has added to my love of reading and um just recently Astrid and I have been working to um, start a poetry book club, which is something that I've always wanted to do. Um, I've participated in many book clubs, but none of them specific to poetry. So I feel like I'm getting to combine two of my loves together to make this dream happen. So um, Astrid and I started with reading um, a book by Gretchen Gomez. Um, called Love and You. And mm-hmm. and then from there, um, we just had so much fun reading it together. We decided, why not, like, expand this a little bit? So we'll talk more about that. But um, that is why I'm here today. Yeah, it's the beginning stages of something new. Um, but, yeah, what Lynn didn't say is that <laughs> Lynn is actually working on her own crossing over to the author platform as well (laughs) yes I am I probably should have mentioned that Um, I am in the process of putting a book together Um, it has a title it has some cover art it has poems to go inside of it and it's coming out in February yeah so look out for that everybody There's a lot of things in store, and there's great things to look forward to. We're busy, busy over here just trying to make the world a better place via words, right? Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. So that's all for the announcements, and we actually are going to have a new guest. Her name is Tanya Manning-Yard. I'm sorry, let me say that again. Dr. Mm-hmm. Tanya Manningyard. And she is the author of Every Watering Word. She is a freelance writer. She is a former educator, a mom, a wife. She recently worked on a copy editor and contributing writer for Bronze Magazine. She is a freelance blogger for the annual Montclair Film Festival in Montclair, New Jersey, and Mountains, a personal blog for writing. 
So prior to pursuing a career as a writer, she was an educator, having worked as a high school English language arts teacher, an assistant professor, an instructional coach, and an educational consultant. A lot of accolades to say on Mm -hmm. that one. So basically, the girl is brilliant. So we are going to invite her to the guest chair. And uh, I mean, can we discuss? Hi. <laughs> how are you, Astrid? How are you, Lynn? I'm good. How are you? Good, good, good. Yeah, we're good. We're good. Dr. Tanya, so lead us. I already did your introduction. So um, just lead us through uh, why did you decide to, I guess, start by publishing poetry. I mean, you were a high school English language arts teacher and an assistant professor and instructional coach and an educational consultant all prior to this, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I had always been a writer. I started writing when I was about 12 years old. So it was always something that was in the background and poetry was a, a way of expressing myself that I just just internally just gravitated towards. I've done other writings in terms of academic writing, um, movie reviews, formal essays in terms of education, educational papers, uh, book reviews, movie reviews, but there's something about writing poetry that has resonated ever since from being very young and even all throughout my career paths. And in the case of at the time when I was a, a high school English teacher, I even hosted uh, open mics for my students so it could give them an opportunity to creatively express themselves and to give them a form to share their art and their talent with a larger group of people and to kind of gain practice in affirming themselves by saying, this is me, this is who I am, this is my talent, and I'm out here sharing it um, with you. So it's always been in the background of things I do, but it's funny in terms of how the book has come out, has a, the, the book Every Warning Word has come out, is several years ago, I was meeting with my best friend, Carla Cherry, and she's also a, a fellow English teacher, writer, and just a phenomenal person. We've known each other pretty much all our lives. Like, we're sandbox sisters, so we go back all the way to the 70s. And I had given her... Um, a manuscript that I was working on, and she gave me a great you know, editing feedback. But I hadn't done much with that that body of work since that meeting. And you know, then I I went on and, and did other things and started a family. And Carla has always been saying back to me, you know, you need to publish. You need to publish. And she herself is, is prolific. She's just published her fourth book of poetry. Um, but in any case. About last year, she said, I think it'd be a really great idea for us to go out on tour and perform our poetry. But there's one catch. We're only going to do it if you publish. So that's when the music of dun, dun, dun came in. <laughs> she's a sister that, you know, she, she's word is blonde with her. So when she says something, you have to do it. So I marathon, going back through her edits and recommendations, revisiting the text, compiling it. I then sent it to my sister friend for Seaway, who's also another prolific poet, to look at it with a new set of eyes. Because you know, as writers, you can keep looking at something over and over and over again, and you can't see 
something different yet because it's so internalized within you. And so she gave it back to me with her revisions and edits and recommendations, including what she thought should be the title, which is how every warring word um, came from the actual collection of poems themselves. And I sent it into Wasteland Press. Uh, they're a self-publishing uh, company. And September 27, 2017, the book was published. Oh, okay. So, so they they helped you with the cover and all of that. Yes, they helped with the cover and on the back, you know, what to say in terms of the promotion of the book, and the image that's on the front as well is one that the uh, the editor uh, had recommended amongst a, a group of them. But there was something about this particular image of a woman's face in the back of her fading that I thought, wow, I think this really resonates with the themes and the ideas in the book. And that's how every warning word came to be. Um, that's, that's cool because I actually was going to ask you how did you come up with every watering word as a title? Because that's a, a very good title. Yeah, I don't hear it very often. Thank you. Um, I'm trying to capture um, in that title, kind of even like going back to the relationship I have with my mother. Both of my my parents are deceased. My mom was a phenomenal mother. She just invested so much in me, herself being a very prolific and very good writer. Um, but she didn't publish, but she kept uh, copious notes and diaries and letters. And my mom was somebody who was also, in addition to being a writer and being very eloquent in her writing, was also someone who was very um, inspirational. She was a, a formidable presence in our family and a great encourager. And so both between myself, my cousins, you know, friends, family, she was just that type of person that could just speak life and affirmation into you. And then you would just be so encouraged and inspired that in turn, that would be like the impetus for it. You didn't believe you could do it, but my mom said you could do it. You could do it. And so I'm just kind of giving homage back to her in terms of every warring word because all of the words in which she's spoken into my life, I've tried to actualize and live out to the best of my ability. So in part, the title, Every Warring Word, pays tribute and homage back to her. That's oh, so that's beautiful. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I would love to talk um, also, Astrid, if you don't mind a little bit about the cover. Um, because sure. I'm actually like in the process right now of trying to, you know, decide on my own cover. So I'd love to hear about the sort of process that mm -hmm. you went through. You talked about it a little bit, but like, how did you settle on that image for the cover? Sure. I had, I wanted to put something um, mysterious, yet something that I didn't want to put a, a, a stock photo or, or image on the cover because I think sometimes images deliver interpretations. Like if you see uh, a picture of a lake and trees with leaves on them, you know, that connotes that it's either spring or summer. And then that comes kind of packed with a variety of ideas and associations we would put to the seasons, the greenery, the water, uh, the pastoral scene, etc. I wanted to do something um, that could be part solid, like seeing that of a woman's face, but also mysterious with all the different strings that are kind of jetting out from the back of her, where 
there's a variety of influences that come upon us. And at the same time, variety of influences of which we give out. So I wanted to have some imagery that was dynamic that could then lend itself to that kind of, of interpretation. So that's why I came up with uh, that picture. There was another one that I was deliberating on and using where it had um, a woman whose hair was wrapped, but inside of her hair were all these different uh, pictures. It was pictures of walls, pictures of uh, buildings and the paint and the um, the paint was uh, chipping off, so kind of like a peeling off of layers. But when I looked at the setting of the picture compared to this image that's on the current book, I thought this book lended a little bit more uh, mystique and an openness to being interpreted rather than the interpretation from that other picture being received. So that's how I came up with uh, this being the best image, I thought, for this book. But it was hard. It was hard. There's so many images out there and you're just trying to think of what's the first impression you want to make on a person. This one I wanted to be where for a potential reader that is open to interpretation and hopefully will intrigue you much more than me saying giving a picture or a particular image and delivering an interpretation upon you. Okay. Hmm? That's, a, that's a good description. I mean, the picture goes perfectly with the title of the book my interpretation of when I saw the picture mm -hmm. was that the words make up a woman um, mm -hmm. makes up her like they make up her her image her everything of what she's about and the words that she invests in you serves you life like oxygen just like water does mm -hmm. so that was that was my interpretation when I saw the image. So mm. I thought it went well with the actual title. Wow. I love that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's actually what I thought as well. But I love, I love that we have the opportunity to talk to you because it gives it like additional like layers and nuance that I think is just really cool. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to, to talk about the book and the cover because it's it's a collection of poems that I approach poetry not as just oh it's my diary and I write it and I want people to read it I want it to be um, a place where people can see themselves and and feel a connection like I've been through that or I've thought about this same topic or being able to find a place of solace or even uh, unfamiliar stories stories about our humanity and our spirits that we may not necessarily uh, come across every day, but then hopefully in this book will give us um, ideas and new insight into our humanity and in many respects, the ways we're more similar than we are different. So hearing your interpretations of just the cover alone, it's like, wow, that, uh, that really resonates with me. So I just wanted to say, to say thank you for that. Thank you. Sure, no problem. I mean, I know uh, since we like books as well, mm -hmm. and I'm an author, and Lynn is soon to become an author as well. Um, we know that covers play a very big role in your audience and in purchasing a book and in all those things. So that's why, you know, we, we added that on there as well. But it, it leads into my second question. Do you plan to write in other genres? 
if so, like what other genres are you considering writing in? Hmm. I'm I'm thinking of writing in I, I would like to do a second collection of poetry, which I've begun to start, but there are other stories that are starting to evolve in my my heart and in my life that I'm wondering if poetry can capture them and if perhaps they may be better served through another genre. So something I've begun to think about is writing a series of children's stories um, and writing them based on the experiences I've had as a mother with my two sons. My youngest son was diagnosed with autism and my oldest son has just been tested and identified as gifted. And it's interesting to have these two children who are unique and, and differently abled, yet they're also brothers. And there is such a love that the two of them have for each other, yet at the same time in, in trying to figure out how to communicate and interact with each other, um, there's a unique story about them being brothers that I think um, would be helpful to tell for other parents who are going through this experience, uh, particularly in the sense also with autism, because that diagnosis can differ, can be different for every single child who is diagnosed as autistic. And it's, it can be at times, um, it's an epiphany. You, you, you learn about uh, your humanity and your resilience and your need for advocacy for your, your child, but then your child also teaches you differently about how you construct understandings of how others think, how others process the world around them, how others socially engage the world, what constitutes being gifted in your own right. And so I think that type of story between um, my two sons, the story between them, the story of my husband and I being their parents and the story of us as a family, a story of us also being African-American, um, all of those things, I think, lend themselves to a, a children's book or a, a genre of children's stories and, and children's books that can make that story accessible to younger readers and also to the parents who would be potentially reading those stories to um, their children. So that's a... a, a something I've been thinking about in terms of writing in another genre. The other has been given like my background in terms of uh, educational writing and academic discourse is to also write about the ways in which I've been trying to support both of my sons, having homeschooled both of them until they started public school and formal education in, a, in an academic school setting and the institution of schooling for them. What that has been like, what I've tried to do as a homeschooling mom in that sense before they started school as well as what I'm trying to do now in supporting both of them. Um, so those are two genres in terms of, of a more academic uh, genre in terms of, of, of essay writing and also children's books are genres I've begun thinking of uh, exploring writing as well. Okay, which pretty much answers my next question, which was going to be, do you write from your soul or do you write for an audience? And it sounds like, you know, because it's, it's hard for us as writers, because a lot of times we'll have ideas and emotions that we want to write about, mm -hmm. but it may not be 
you know, popular or it may not be, you know, what the audience is looking for. Mm-hmm. So, so, so finding that balance is always the hardest, but it sounds like to me, for you, um, it's mostly about writing from the soul, if I'm correct. Mm-hmm. I try to write from my soul in the sense of, I write, some poems I write for me and I'm trying to process something or I'm trying to reach a certain epiphany. Other times I'm, I'm writing from the soul from there's a story that has impacted me and it's a story. Sometimes I'll take a kind of journalistic lens to telling a story, like for example, in the poem, uh, Raising Cane for its Sugar, um, that I'll then try to tell the story, you know, through the lenses of being a woman and being in, in the case of the, the, the two characters in that poem, um, some really chilling decisions that, that are, have to be made or are made for them and what can be the impact of that. And I try to write that poem and poems like that from a kind of soulful exploration, like what does that then give us back in terms of a mirror to look upon in terms of our own humanity and our own spirits. Um, I then try to think about the audience, not as um, I'm trying to write because I want to impress them and I want to just come on the mic and just, you know, blow it up and just, you know, applause just all around me. I mean, like, that's nice. But I try to, to write with a mindfulness of what is the language that I need to use? Do I have enough description? Do I have too much description? Do I have too much exposition? Do I have metaphors that my, my, my potential reader will understand? And so those, those are the times when my mindfulness of the audience comes in. But I always try, not so much to write um, for my soul and for myself, but trying to write from the soul for ourselves, you know, in general. Is that I think I'm rambling a little bit, but I, I really try to write from uh, experience in light of a collective experience and then a mindfulness in terms of the artistry of the writing, how to make it the most best it can be to be accessible to an audience. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. that makes sense to me. That makes sense. I was thinking as you were talking about like the process of just, you know, like writing for for your own healing versus like when you decide that this is like the piece, even if it was written with the intent of healing, like it is something you want to see published. And then you have to start thinking about like, who is the audience? How am I going to format this in a way that's accessible? Like what word choices can I make to make sure that um, like the words that I want to stand out and resonate with people truly like do just that. Um, And I think that that's something I would say um, Tanya like really stands out about your your work as we read it like you can you can feel the soulfulness of it but you can also feel like very sophisticated um, mechanics and craft as well. Thank you, thank you. I'll tell you a little secret. Um, my mom homeschooled me even throughout my high school um, years, and it would consist of about two to three hours at home of writing, studying the dictionary. Like she made me study the dictionary, pull out unique words, write them in sentences, write essays. Um, My mom was really hard like that, lovingly said. But I'm sharing that to say, 
I grew from that experience with a love of language and what language can do. And I love words and, and being able to, to create images. I feel like I need as expansive a vocabulary as possible to do that. Um, so I credit my mom way back in the day, saying, why am I studying the dictionary, mommy? This is crazy. You know, too, now that, that opportunity to build vocabulary and to practice writing sentences and practicing the writing of essays that I've come to be able, I haven't arrived, but I've come to be able to be able to be able to say things with a certain level of, of complexity um, that I think was just harnessed from my mom and, and, and her um, helping me to practice language several, several decades ago. Yeah, that's good because not a um, I'm a lover of words too, but uh, mm-hmm. I'm I'm more of the simplistic type person. <laughs> I like simplicity. Um, I I think <laughs> because I hate mm-hmm. having to explain myself, and I think t- sometimes people mm-hmm. get lost in complexities and the translation of those complexities. So I, if I'm trying to get a serious point, I make it as simple mm-hmm. as one, two, three, because I want you to understand exactly mm-hmm. what I'm saying. I feel you on that. Like sometimes simple is better. Like why say, you know, the biota have experienced a 100% mortality rate when you can just say all the fish died. And it is just <laughs> no doubt, no, no math required. It's just the fish are dead. I totally get you. <laughs> I totally get you. I do. And, and there's an appreciation for that because sometimes you just have to write the vision and make it plain. It doesn't yeah. need to have like revolutions and wording and language and be contorted where a person get lost in trying to decipher it as compared to a nice, clean, straight line from point A to point B, that's expressing a complete thought that makes that thought accessible and not obscured by fluid language or complex sentencing, etc. I hear you on that. Yeah, so, <laughs> which leads mm-hmm. me to my other question. Um, which poem in every watering word were you the most vulnerable in? You know, I have been thinking on that question this weekend. I, because I'm like, oh, the question made me vulnerable, you know? <laughs> I, I was like, but it is such a good question. It, it, I, I it think that's, that's why I named the podcast, uh, I mean, can we discuss? Because Astrid is the queen of questions. <laughs> <laughs> The, the, the poem that has been the most vulnerable for me, there, there's two, if I can share about both of them. The one, the most where my vulnerability lays is in the dream of brown mothers. Because I wrote that when we were just having, unfortunately, a whole proliferation of so many of our young boys and young, and young men and men, just so much incidents of police shootings. And at the time, I had, I had just given birth to my, um, my firstborn. And I was, I was feeling very scared. What could happen to him? What could happen to my husband? And at the time, you know, again, saying my my parents being deceased, um, 
I don't necessarily have that wisdom that can come with grandparents being immediately accessible. I still have a community of elders, um, my mom's friends and my dad's friends that are still like aunt and uncle or, you know, I always call them by their formal names. But in terms of having my mom and dad, stuff hits the fan. What happens? And it just so happened that I got an invitation from my, my girl, my neighbor, Ghana, and she has like, these annual events at her house. And she had invited us to her house. Now, what's funny is at the time, we had just moved to the, to the neighborhood and didn't really know people, but Ghana and I have another mutual friend in common. And through those degrees of separation, I got this, the invitation from her. And when we came to the house, you know, I was still holding my firstborn you know, on my hip and I'm getting used to the environment and I'm having this real heavy heart. And Ghana just walked up to me, took Keith by the, by the, the body, threw her on her hip and said, y'all go down, sit down, eat, get comfortable. I got the baby and went in the house. <laughs> and it was just that moment of herself being a mother of, of three children who were older than my two, her just, her mm-hmm. no I'm a mom. I know what, what's going on. I know what you're feeling. I got your baby. I got him. You, you can, you mm-hmm. can sit him. I got him. And she walked right in the house. And that moment gave me such, such peace. So the poem, The Dreams of Our Mothers, comes with that kind of, of that fright, of that, the unknown. What are the variables that I can't control that can still grossly impact you know, my son and my husband. And that is a poem that has been for me, the poem where I'm the, I feel the most vulnerable, but having that experience Mm -hmm. with Ghana and then writing the poem um, helps me now to, to, to be and feel, I'm still worried because, you know, every day, this day and age, no, but I have a little bit more strength now keep trying to do what I'm doing every day as a mom, as a wife, as a friend, etc. So that is a poem that um, lends to me uh, a mirror to show me back my vulnerability and I think a, uni- a, a universal vulnerability for all of us um, who have young men and young and, and sons and, and, and husbands and fathers and brothers and uncles and best friends and, and old school friends from back in the day that we're, we're worried about what happens once they, you know, go out there in the world and, and you know. So that's a poem that, that, that for me is the most vulnerable. The other, in a funny sense, is the poem I wrote about my husband. And that's a poem about a picture he took of me um, on our uh, honeymoon. And for our first anniversary, he took that picture, and blew it up into this big, beautiful black and white picture. And he gave that to me for an an- our first anniversary gift. And I wrote a poem about that because I was vulnerable in the sense of, you know, he took this picture of me and he captured me unguarded and completely happy. And being that way with him, when I saw the picture, I, I kind of was like, oh my gosh, wow, I can, I can have this happiness. I can have this unfiltered um, 
beautiful feeling of being in love and being loved and being honored and being respected and being cherished and even being thought of that from a year later from when that picture was taken, someone thought to give that reflection of me back to me. Mm. And that's the part also that um, kind of gives me, uh, makes me feel vulnerable in that respect. There you have it. Yeah. So we're going to take a little break and then we're going to come back to Dr. Tanya reading us some poetry. So, hi, everybody. Welcome back. (laughs) We're still here with Dr. Tanya and Lynn Patterson, and we're going to have Dr. Tanya read us The Shepherds 2014 Coker-Coser Family Reunion Poetry, if you will do do us the honor. Absolutely. And thank you. Sure. In our walks in the park, the oldest routinely seizes scattered twigs, stirs dusty debris underneath tree roots. Agitating the earth's throat, it answers back with busy ants, browning leaves and budding grass. He drums on the trunks of trees, counts the growth rings, sits on them, feeds the trees cuts with giggles and grass. He consults with trees to witness life unencumbered the practice of his strength and curiosity. The youngest is always weighing wonder, found in living room corner atop mountain of books. Problem solver, he studies an object, selects carefully what obstacles to shift. Captures newly heard sound, records it in trembling hands and clapping feet, volleys it back in near perfect pitch begins trusting to stand on his own. Between my sleeping sons, I write this poem uninterrupted, imagine between their breaths, above their closed eyes, their humanity and holiness. I fold each word into a prayer, press my hands together in petition that I learn to discern and distinguish their destinies. They teach me how to be their teacher. How best to serve emerging branches? What can be the flourish of leaves? What will be the drink for their wild and widening roots? Who waters and feeds them and why? When their acorns will become trees and become acorns again. To prepare them for the future, I begin building bridges backwards to their kin and ancestors, summoning the dusting off and writing of the histories and stories about who they are who are their people, where they hail from, what they have done, who we have been, and why. Diaries, photos, prayers, and reunion begin the work of recollection that my mother, father, grandparents, aunt, uncles, cousins, the living, have done. Our God, our descendants, will inform. Our task for these young sons for our village children, for our souls, is to shake the family trees, collect the fruits of how we as cokers and cowsers build life, 
the legacy of how we sew him into the hems of our garments, scribe and scroll our souls, assemble anew from ashes, use prosperity and poverty as our blueprints, forge frontline past fierce enemies, compile the lessons of the departed so they become the instruction and traditions of today. We, as a people, pass on, pass down, but do not pass out. Wow. Beautiful. Mm. So beautiful. Thank you. Thank so you. So I had, I had picked that one, and that's because I, I pictured... I kind of pictured you saying this. <laughs> yep, me too. <laughs> I pretty much pictured you saying it in my in my mind. I pictured you saying this like on a podium during one of those events where you mm. speak to your your kids and and you know about you know progression and with all the social issues that's going on and then just trying to say let's be a family again yes yes I wrote this poem for every two years our family has a family reunion and I'm kind of the the scribe so I'm asked to write a poem that will then be said at our family dinners and this particular time in 2014 I had not been to our family reunions for a very long time, not since at that time, my mom had passed. And it was just very hard to go back to the family reunions because of um, how, how much her passing had impacted me. And then also the, the going back to where my mom was from, because we always have our family reunions in South Carolina and going back to the soil, the, the, the humidity, the, the beauty, the nostalgia, the struggle, the trial, the tribulations, the history, the family, the people. It was, it was hard to always go back and then have to come back up, you know, up north, so to speak. So at that time then, both of my sons were born. And I felt like it was time for me to go back because as my mom had started taking me to the family reunions, I needed to take them. They need to know their people. They need to know our stories. They need to know who else is part of our tree. Because it would be very selfish for me to kind of still stay um, in my position of hurt as compared to fulfilling my responsibility of passing on um, our history, our stories. And then also on the other side, for our family to meet the newcomers, so to speak. So this was the poem that I had performed at that, uh, I don't want to say perform, but shared um, at that event. And in terms of the writing of it, I literally wrote the poem while my boys were asleep and I was in between their beds and just listening to their breathing and thinking about who they are as people and, and where they come from and who they can become and who else do they need to be introduced to and who else needs to be introduced to them to continue you know, their stories, our stories, and our family stories collectively. And that's how that poem unfolded was from that moment of sitting between them breathing. Breathing in this Yeah, I was going to say, so um, when I pictured, like I could picture you also 
like saying this but in my uh-huh. head you were like in bed with your two boys they were like laying around you and you mm-hmm. were like whispering this as they slept and I think um you know I'm not a parent but I work with children and I work with parents a lot and something I think that's really powerful about this poem is that you don't have to be a parent for it to resonate with you um the just the themes of like ancestry and like knowing who has come before you so that you can um realize like the greatness of who you are I think resonates with people in general one of the lines that I um underlined as you were reading it was the um, building bridges backwards like that imagery is just so um so on point and like culturally when we think about how important ancestors are in almost every single culture um I think this this like certainly resonates with people yes 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 exactly I was gonna say that is my favorite line too Mm -hmm. Uh, bridges backwards so we're nearing an end we hate to say (laughs) um we were having such a good time we could do poetry all day here so before we go if there is one thing you want your readers to gain from your writing what would that be hmm I I want them to gain the feeling that they have something of worth to say and a responsibility to share it. And I take that, um, particularly this weekend, now with our elder writer, poet, Ntozaki Shangi, now with the ancestors, um, she did that for me. My creative writing teacher back when I was in high school um, gave me the colored girls who have considered suicide when the rainbow is enough. And as a teenager reading that book, it, it filled me with so many mirrors of, of being a, a woman coming into her own and the, the struggles and the beauty and the solidarity and the collectivity that, that comes with that, that evolving into ourselves and our most possible selves. And the way that Ntozaki Shanki did that with language, with, with broken lines and slashes and, and free verses, um, that experience has resonated with me ever since. And so I hope that Others who read my writing find in it their own possibilities. Um, I'm not writing poetry to deliver one specific message or way of thinking, but to hope that others in reading, you know, my humble letters and words and phrases uh, see mirrors of their own possibilities and, and do the same and write that which is possible for themselves. That is what I would like for readers to gain from my writing okay that's that's good um so yeah that concludes our interview with dr tanya um i'm going to roll this over to lynn to let you know where you can find more information about our poetry club
<laughs> um, first, uh, Tanya, thank you so much for being here. It, it's wonderful to get to read your work again and to talk about it with others. Thank um, you. Yeah, You're of back. course. Of course. Um, so coming up, um, we are going to be meeting with a group of about four readers who've had the opportunity to read um, Every Watering Word. And we will be discussing um, The Shepherds, which uh, Tanya shared today, as well as three of her other poems to talk about in depth. Um, Tanya, you're also going to join us for the end of that conversation, right? Yes. Yes, I am. Yes. So our readers will also have an opportunity to ask her questions, which we're just really excited about. Um, so look out for us. Um, we'll be starting an Instagram and a good read soon where you can connect to the books that we're reading and hopefully be a part of one of our book clubs. Yes. And if you want to keep in touch with Dr. Tanya and you have any more questions for her, you can follow her on Instagram. Um, she also has a website. You want to tell everyone about that, Dr. Tanya? Sure. Thank you. My Instagram handle is every watering word author. So it's every uh, underline watering underline word underline author. And I also have a blog, which is Tanya Manning Yard, PhD.wordpress.com. So there you go. Thank you so much, guys, for joining us. We hope you liked this one and catch us next time on, I mean, can we discuss? <laughs> Ciao. <laughs> that was a wrap for today thank you so much for listening to i mean can we discuss don't forget to subscribe follow us if you want to see what we're up to what projects we're up to and enjoy the rest of your day night wherever you might be i was your host asher ferguson signing off mm-hmm.